Trading Nut, episode 77. Yeah, well, they, they didn't really discuss anything about the retail market. They were actually pretty oblivious to the retail side of the market. These guys were, they were institutional guys. And so they only, they mean, they had an incredible uh, insight and expertise on the sell side of the market. And so they told me a little bit about, I mean, as I mentioned, how this uh, distribution uh, of liquidity took place. The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than... I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax. Learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial, trading, or investing advice of any kind. What's up, traders? Welcome to another installment of the Trade. That podcast. I'm your host, Cam Hawkins, and today we have Sareed Harper on the show. Now, Sareed's had uh, quite a quite a life, a life that most newbie traders would love to have had. He's been able to get access to things even experienced traders want to get access to. He's been able to spend time in major, major financial institutions and not just, you know, work there processing paper. This guy was able to meet the traders, become friends with the traders, and this isn't even the tip of it well this is the tip of it this isn't even the meat of it the meat of it is he met the liquidity providers and he and even gets even better than that he actually managed to um, because of his role he was diving into the software that you know funnels liquidity throughout the world he was diving into it he was learning how it works he was meeting with the traders learning how they work meeting with the liquidity providers this guy is a wealth of knowledge And we get to reveal a lot of that here on the show today. So that's coming up in just a sec. Uh, Also, we did shoot a video after the show. So bonus content you don't get here on the podcast. Head over there, tradingnut.com or the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe because we've got tons of these coming up. Every single episode, there's like almost every single episode, there's a video. Um, Guys, we actually walked through the software that Sarid has created after, uh, after basically learning all this stuff getting some mentoring as well, and applying it. He's automated a lot of it. We get to see how his software works, how you can actually get access to it, and uh, and then the strategies he uses and where he enters and where he exits and that sort of thing. So really unique stuff here, guys. Uh, stuff I haven't seen before on the show, which is which is also a bonus. Now, if you are over there on the tradingnut.com site, do remember to check out these things, the Robot Builders Club, learn to build robots in 21 days. The Robot Traders Club, we've got monthly robots rolling out the door. You guys get to try them. I build them. You suggest strategies. That's how it works. If you're looking for education, there's a strategy section where we've got past guests of the show have given some have given money off, some have given bonuses. Basically, you're going to get a deal I've negotiated for you that uh, is going to save you some money and get you some good education as well. We've got a couple of free mindset courses on there. Uh, and then if you're looking to get funded, we've got a comparison table of funding providers as well. So folks, that's what you can do after the show. But for now, let's get on with it with Sarid Harper. This is a fantastic episode. Here we go. All right, folks, we've got Sarid Harper here from Pipnotic. So welcome to the show, Sarid. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're over there in Bali, Indonesia. Uh How's things going with the the lockdown for you? It's pretty good, actually. The Balinese are pretty uh, relaxed people. Um, they're quite superstitious, so 
um, if they're doing offerings, you know, I think they feel quite quite protected and, um, and things are pretty good. And we've only had, I think, a maximum. I think there have been four deaths here. And so, I mean, Corona is not really in Bali. Um, despite that fact, they still seem to kind of block off all the beaches and, and enforce uh, mask wearing and hand sanitizer, which is a, a bit frustrating when you're trying to move around the island. But at the same time, I suppose they're doing what they can to prevent things from yeah, escalating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, New Zealand's sort of the same. I mean, we've had like 20 deaths and we've now on day seven or day eight of under two, under your yeah, two or less uh, cases being being found. So, we're, wow. and we're still under some sort of weird lockdown. It's actually the first day I've just gone out down to town with um, the, the city centre with my family to, to grab some lunch from a, a place with the sort of funny new rules that we've got in, in place. It's the first time I've been out of my little neighbourhood or area in seven mm. weeks, I think seven weeks, crazy. You allowed? Were you allowed to sit at the same table? You have to. Oh <laughs> uh, no, no, you're not allowed in the venues. You you, you basically get right. an order via an app, and then they leave it at the door. And you get when you get notification on your app, you go and pick it up, and then uh, away you go. So um, all these weird rules. It's only going to get weirder into the next phase that we go. So, um, yeah, let's 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 move on to trading. So you've got a you've got an odd accent. Took me a while to try and pick it. Uh, do you want to give the guys a little background as to your story, how you got into trading, and, and where you are up to now? Of course. Um, well, I was uh, I was born in the UK. And I uh, in London and uh, moved to the family farm in Oxford when I was ten. We moved to the to the U.S. up by the Canadian border in Montana, and I was there for about nine years. And then I met a Danish girl in London, and I lived in uh, in Denmark for, for most of my life, for about twenty odd years. And um, for the past two years, we've been in Indonesia. And so I suppose learning uh, all these different languages kind of takes its toll on on the your, the purebred <laughs> sense of being an Englishman or American or a Kiwi or whatever. And so I think that's uh, certainly um, what's caused my accent to turn into a bit of a hybrid um but i've um the past 20 or well, since i moved to denmark i was i found out that i had a kind of an interesting or a unique talent for uh, for hacking into stuff so like writing software and identifying security issues that could be exploited and so i i worked as a security researcher for a few uh, different companies um scandinavia and i found most of my i spent most of my time doing security research and uh, security audits for for banks and so we would be tra- uh, testing trading platforms, uh, uh, hedging platforms, liquidity distribution engines, and stuff like that for some of the biggest banks in the world. And so I spent, I suppose, uh, the majority of the past or my professional life working for, for a lot of banks. And during that time, of course, you build up professional relationships and also uh, personal relationships with uh, a lot of the guys that work for the banks. And so I got to know some some pretty cool guys, you know, some institutional traders and, and a lot of the guys who were like the architects that built the infrastructure on the sell, sell side of the market. So essentially the huge banks like UBS and, and, uh, and, uh, and Credit Suisse, I mean, they would be, they would have liquidity that they would sell to, uh, to the other side of the market, which would be, I suppose, the broker. And we would interact with the market via the broker. And so these guys would be focusing on um, kind, of, kind of the source of the liquidity. And, uh, and that was really cool. And, and I got to know one of the guys at one of these banks and he was um, kind enough to, to show me a lot about in how, how business went on at some of these banks. And he showed me a lot of really cool stuff. He showed me the liquidity distribution engine, uh, the order execution engine. So when uh, Bank A would be filling orders for a smaller bank, say Bank B, he, sh- he showed me how that worked. And it was a, it was fascinating. And it was a real eye-opener for me. 
and, the, and essentially he was talking about uh, distribution of liquidity. So you have you have liquidity of something, some kind of an asset. Uh, Bank B uh, wanted that asset at a good price, and they would define like a price window that they're willing uh, to pay. And, uh, and he showed me how this this engine would uh, take these massive orders and slice them up, and get them filled when Weiss sorry when price entered this this window this price window um, yeah and so I got to know a couple of economists as well working for some of the um, uh, some, some really big uh, forex brokers uh, and one of the guys was a he was he was a really clever economist but he was a really crappy trader um, but he taught me a lot about um, how you can take you can take the temperature of an economy, and here it was focusing a lot on uh, jobs and unemployment and, uh, and GDP and growth, and interest rates and stuff like that. And, uh, and so I kind of fed this information, and, uh, and I didn't really understand what he, he meant, but I kind of tackled all of it, distribution of liquidity and the health of an economy as kind of a, a computer science problem or a maths problem. And so I went to work and actually started to write software back in, I started back in about 2010, um, that would help take uh, data, uh, crunch numbers, and show, give me kind of a visual representation that would be easy to interpret. So what do we have? Do we have strength here? Do we have weakness? Do we have uh, a high degree of uh, the distribution of liquidity at this price point? At what price point? How much? Um, how quick? How slow? Stuff like that. And so I had like a really nice period of time where I um, got to, um, ne next to my job as a uh, like a, a, a computer hacker, got to spend a lot of time kind of digging into the details. And I was being paid to do security audits, but I got to spend um, my lunch times with a lot of these guys and, and ask a lot of questions. And they kind of put me in the right direction, I'd say, um, which kind of enabled me to continue my my search for answers. And what were the things that they were sort of discussing with you that I suppose what the retail trader was necessarily hearing? Yeah, well, they, they didn't really discuss anything about the retail market. They were actually pretty oblivious to the retail side of the market. These guys were, they were institutional guys. And so they only, they mean they had an incredible uh, insight and expertise on the sell side of the market. And so they told me a little bit about, I mean, as I mentioned, how this uh, distribution uh, of liquidity took place. And they showed me, they showed me code. They showed me these machines. Um, there, was, there was actually, what was the name of it? There was, there was a, there was a piece of software they had called Libra. I remember it was called. And, and this piece of software would deal with the, the quote-unquote small orders that came in from uh, via the intrabank market. And these orders were uh, 2 million euros and less. So everything under that was considered not worth looking at uh, by, by a pair of human eyes. And that was kind of dealt or handled automatically via like these, uh, these engines. And then he showed me a lot about how that worked. And that was really insightful because, because you could really see how price reacted when it poked into these windows of opportunity. Um, and so that was really, really cool. And so essentially I converted everything that I, I heard uh, during my time working with these guys, helping with their security. Um, I converted to uh, buy and sell zones, so um, supply and demand and currency strength. That was the takeaway for me. And so for the past, yeah, since about, as I mentioned, 2010 or 11, I started writing software that focused on these two things. Uh, currency strength and buy and sell zones and so this is kind of what I've done until now and that's what hypnotic essentially focuses on today and and your definition of a supply and demand zone I mean does that sort of differentiate from what others out there may be sort of 
uh, well, may, may, may define it? Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, if you look at supply and demand, um, you essentially have a quantity of something that is, is for sale. And you have a price that people are willing to pay for this uh, asset, whatever it may be. Um, and then you have, you have, um, when when the liquidity of an asset is distributed in the market, it leaves certain traces, it leaves certain clues as to how this distribution occurred. Did it occur efficiently or did it occur inefficiently? Um, and so, if you look, at, if you study this, you can really learn to see. Uh, the nuances in in price, and you don't need anything else than a price chart. But you can certainly see how how price leaves uh, like a price window, um, which I can then I can revert back to um, uh, the price windows of these of this Liga, Libra Libra um, algorithm that that this bank uh, showed me, and you can see how price kind of poked into these windows and how price reacted uh, once these orders were being filled. And so you have, I mean, you have supply and demand, um, and I suppose in the currency market, supply and demand can be uh, translated into uh, pending orders. So you have you have a price chart, prices moving higher and lower. But what, when you're looking at a price chart, you're actually looking at what has already happened. So a lot of people say that you have to focus on bleeding edge price, which is a price chart. Well, that's not actually true. A price chart is showing you what's already happened. What you need to do is you have to train your eyes to see the negative of a price chart, and that is the unfilled orders or the buy and the sell zones. And these are very visible in the form of price-sensitive areas. And you can see these, these patterns occurring all over the place, and you can see how price later reacts to these price-sensitive areas. And so this is where my research led me, and that was kind of trying to kind of quantify um, uh, these areas, these price sensitive areas in a way that I could present them to myself visually so that I could act on them essentially. But I, but I didn't have, you know, I, I never had an interest to trade. I was really interested in the computer, the computer science uh, side of it. Um, and so I evolved into a trader kind of after having been a, like a, like a, a software engineer for, for many years prior to that. And how did that uh, evolution look? Um, it was actually it was actually quite painful because um, because I had I had these these models these mathematical models this software that was running and it was and, and I could see that it was working really well and so maybe I had a bit of uh, overconfidence and so we I mean we just bought a really expensive home in, in central Copenhagen so I said said to my wife uh, sweetheart I'm going to quit my job I don't want to hack into banks anymore I want to I want to trade and I can do this. So yeah, we just bought this really expensive home. I quit my job, and then I forced myself uh, to sit in front of the charts uh, for ten hours a day for for eight months, ten months, um, and try and earn money. And uh, and it was a it was an absolute nightmare. Um, number one, we almost lost our home. We almost went bankrupt, um, and so we had to refinance our house. And luckily, we got to keep our home because we had a nice relationship and, and good credit with the bank. Um, so that was the downside. Um, and apart from that, I mean, I had, I was blessed with the opportunity to to look at price for for ten hours a day uh, for six to eight months, um, a longer, I mean, closer, almost a year actually. So I had a lot of time uh, to finish my software, um, to study price, um, to speak to the guys that I knew from um, from these banks to help me kind of understand what was going on, and um, and so that's how I slowly evolved into into trading. Yes. 
And can you can you walk us through like I suppose a typical day back then, and what what did it look like from placing trades and, and that sort of thing? I mean, I mean back then um, there was there was a lot of desperation. There was no clarity. Uh, there was confusion. There was stress and utter stress. And so, I mean, back then, I mean, I'd, I'd take my kids to kindergarten. I'd chuck them in the cargo bike and I'd, and I'd drop them off at school in kindergarten. My wife would go to work and I'd I'd sit down at my at my desk and I'd and I'd just look at uh, look at my software and I'd say, okay, what's what's the software telling me? And I was, I learned to kind of interpret it in a way that I thought would give me an edge. But back then, I was focusing on on the really small time frames. Um, which I no longer do, uh, but back then I was focusing on kind of a lot of the the intraday volatility, um, like uh, session volatility. And so you have you have the open of the session, let's say uh, the Asian session, let's say the Aussie and the Kiwi are being bought. Um, then you have the European session. Then you have a bit of a kind of a like a transitional period where you have a you have a period of accumulation. Then you have the US session where the trend continues. So I was focusing on these on these these different sessions. I'd focus, I'd start in the um, uh, kind of late Asia and I'd have the entire Ameri- sorry, European session and I'd have the beginning of the American session before I had to pick up kids. And so I was just looking for intraday entries based on these buy and sell zones um, with, with trend data, I suppose, or flow data coming from my currency strength um, research software essentially. And did you seek any other sort of education to, to help you understand what the price charts was, were telling you? I did. I did. I was, um, I was very fortunate to run into a, to a gentleman who's become a, a very good friend today. Uh, and he, uh, he was an institutional uh, guy. He had a hedge fund out of Singapore. Um, and he, uh, he really took me under his wing. Um, I, went to, um, I studied with him for, uh, for about a, a year and a half. Um, this is back in this is pretty early on, and uh, and he he spoke the same language as these as my uh, bank friends did when I was doing security work. So he was talking about liquidity, and he talked about support and resistance, and the intra the intrabank or the interbank market and stuff like that. And so this he spoke a language I understood for my security time, and uh, and this really appealed to me. And it was a really it was a just a really interesting guy who's super helpful he answered my calls uh, when i rang him and, and, um, and we and we managed to catch up a few times uh, when he was uh, visiting europe and uh, and he really kind of helped get me on on track and maybe maybe understand price in a way that i was familiar to rather that was uh, i think in alignment with the guys that i would speak with at the bank and he had he had an institutional uh, knowledge but he also had retail knowledge because he was a trader himself um, he had this uh, this hedge fund, or this um, he was trading other people's money, so professional, and so he had um, a lot of insight and uh, and a lot of knowledge that um, that I was allowed to draw draw upon. And, and where where did you see the sort of change around from of fortune from that first twelve months where you're struggling? Um, I think when I when the stress was gone, when we refinanced our home, and so money. The stress of finances was no longer a problem. Uh, that was that really helped, obviously. Um, and when I when I left the small time frames and I started to focus on um, the profound data, which is on on, on the bigger time frames, uh, the distribution of liquidity. I read a paper um, 
back in maybe this was 2012 about supply and demand. It was a, a an academic paper about um, about the distribution of liquidity in a market and how slow this process is. And I remember when I read this, um, I really felt a light bulb go off because when he said slow, when he said, I mean, the market has memory. That was like the market memory. That was something that was very, um, a point that was driven home very, very often in this paper. And also that, I mean, the distribution of liquidity at price sensitive levels is a very slow process. So when price races down to an area, and spikes into it on the one-minute chart, I mean, you can still consider taking the trade a day or two or three days later because nothing has happened. I mean, if price spikes down into a price, let's say a buy, a buy zone, it doesn't mean it's going to head for the moon. It means that it's testing. Price is seeking liquidity. So when price races lower, it's kind of advertising cheap prices. We're waving a flag. It's, it's an auction market. You know? So we're, we're advertising these cheap prices. Okay, do we have any? Do we have any bids? And so price races down. And then, I mean, the guys who are selling this, uh, this liquidity on the opposing side of the market, on the sell side, I mean, they can see how many people are engaging in these, uh, in these new and attractive prices. And so they can, they can see if price needs to be driven lower to attract more people. They can also see where people have their, their stops located. And, um, and so if, depending on where, um, uh, where people begin to kind of show interest in this price, I mean, then you'll start to see these, uh, these shifts in momentum. Then you'll start to see uh, um, the flow of liquidity change and then it's a very gradual process and, um, and this is when things started to change for me nice nice I, I like that that's a really good description of it and, and what markets are you specifically talking about here um this is um this is all fx um this is I mean everything because my currency strength I mean, I mean hence the name currency strength it's all uh, currency based i don't understand equities i don't understand futures or bonds or options or anything like that I only get uh, uh, currencies. Um, I mean, I'm not an economist. I'm a computer a computer guy, and I was introduced to currencies back then, so that, that kind of stuck. Um, and so that's what I was focused on. I've traded a bit of gold and some commodities, but but I like to use um, currency strength, which maybe I can uh, show at some stage, um, to help me make uh, really good decisions. And also, I mean, you have to think about, uh, going back to the previous point, is everything in this world is cyclical. I mean, everything moves in cycles. You have macro cycles and you have micro cycles. And I focus a lot on this. So when you have the flows moving into something and out of something else, I mean, the flows are not going to continue forever. The flows are going to continue for a period of time and then the flows are going to revert. And this is completely natural. And I think trying to fight the natural cyclic nature of whatever it is you're you're engaging with, it can be relationships, you know, with one spouse. You know, you have good patches and you have bad patches. Trying to force good patches all the time is it's a, it's it's against nature, and the result in, a, in in disaster. And I think with everything in nature, you have to understand that everything moves in cycles. We have the seasons, we have we have the tides, we have moods, we have the markets, we have we have um, the, the infection rate, we have influenza, and which is pretty uh, relevant today, but you also have the financial markets. We have flows moving in, we have flows moving out. And uh, being able to spot the beginning, the beginnings and the ends of these cycles is unbelievably powerful. And so if you have a little bit of insight into this, well, then you can prepare yourself 
to get, uh, for example, to buy some kind of a commodity or, or a currency at a point where we are coming to an end in a bear cycle. So that's that's a very powerful concept. And do you think this sort of thing, what you discuss here around liquidity and seeking liquidity, do you think it uh, is is prevalent or works the same way in, in the likes of stocks and, and uh, commodities? I think so. I, I certainly think so. I mean, if you look at uh, gold, um, actually, if you look at economics, if you look at um, market crashes, and if you look at the American dollar, market crashes and gold and Australian dollar over the course of, a, let's say, two decades, you'll notice how at some stages you have we have recessions and when recessions occur people get scared and then people uh, try to seek um, uh, yields in something that's giving a little bit of a better yield and so people start to flow out of uh, low or negative yielding assets and move into high yielding assets and uh, we're seeing this um, or typically you've seen this in uh, for example people kind of moving into gold or people moving into the equity markets or people moving into American dollars um, and I think this can be applied to absolutely everything um, the thing I like about uh, currency markets is that for me and for my approach in a fi I don't want to look at for example the Australian dollar American dollar I want to look at rather the Australian dollar relative to the American dollar alone. I want to look at the Australian dollar relative to everything, and I want to look at the American dollar relative to everything. And I want to combine these two, um, these two, yeah, these two uh, values uh, as they move throughout time. And this, for me, is powerful. Um, you can't really do that in the same way, at least to my knowledge, uh, in the equity market. At least I don't know how to. I don't know anything about equity, so I could be... Uh, talking complete rubbish but um, I think you probably could but I think it's slightly different the approach would have to be different then you'd probably have to focus on maybe liquidity uh, or volume um, uh, and something like that something like that cool well, look uh, what about we get some insight into your trading at the moment so we'll, you talked about higher time frames uh, let's go through some of the stats yeah so you know I'm looking at higher time frames um, because this shows me where we have uh, the major flows and so if I'm looking to, to buy something I want to know where the flows are moving on the higher time frames and for this I'm using uh, currency strength so I'll go to let's say the weekly chart or for example if I just bring up just for a point of reference if we consider the Australian dollar uh, for the time being um, you can see that I mean, the Australian dollar sold off and it got really, really, really low, as did the Kiwi dollar. Okay, so longer term, we've reached some incredibly low price points. And so this is unsustainable because the economy will recover, people will go back to work. And so we can expect that the Australian dollar and the Kiwi dollar, let's just use two examples, are going to appreciate in value again. And so what I like to uh, do is... Uh, understand this on a macro level and take this inside with me down to around the four-hour chart. And so most of my entries are done on, are placed on the four-hour chart. Okay, and what about uh, risk-to-reward ratio? Yeah, so, I mean, sometimes, I mean, I like, I mean, it's, it's really difficult because everything changes. I mean, if I'm risking $1, I would like the potential of 
uh, are pulling in $3, so one to three. That's my initial uh, expectation, but that doesn't always happen. Uh, and so sometimes I will get into a trade and I will risk a dollar, but then I can see according to uh, the flow of uh, liquidity, that's not going to sustain. And so then I will, um, uh, based on my uh, quantitative approach, I will get out of the trade uh, early or I will or I'll move my stop to break even and I'll take off the majority of the position and I'll leave the rest in. Um, yeah, that's how I like to go about that. I don't like to fiddle and I don't like to move my stop to break even, but at a time where I can see the market sentiment is changing, well, then I want to, I want to protect myself. And, and what about like, I suppose, winning percentages and, and break evens and that sort of thing? How does that look? Um, yes, yeah, so if we look uh, at my stats, the ones I sent you, um, my short positions, one is about, about 86%, and my long positions, uh, 79%. And are they, do, they, do they include the break-evens as well, I'm guessing? Um, yes, I mean, I don't really have any break-evens. I normally, I'm, all, I'm either hitting my target or I'm getting stopped out. Right, okay, cool. And, and so how many pairs do you focus on? Um, so I'm, I'm looking at, let's have a look here. So what I like to focus on is I mean, all of the, the major, all the, all the liquid instruments. So I'm looking at the euro, the dollar, the pound, the franc, the CAD, uh, the yen, the Aussie, the Kiwi, and the Singapore dollar. So those are my primary currencies. And, so, so, and all the crosses between them. Uh, and I've recently enabled the Scandinavian currencies. So the, uh, the Swedish krona, the Norwegian krona, and the Danish krona. But I'm focusing primarily on those uh, the really liquid uh, instruments, which were the uh, the first ones. And how many trades would you, uh, I suppose, generate a week? Um, well, I have I've managed to uh, quantify uh, everything to the point where I've, I actually have an algo trader that opens the trades for me because sometimes I'm not in front of my computer. And, and if we do kind of an average, maybe over a month, maybe about probably five to tr- 10 trades a month. But some weeks I don't have anything. And then other weeks, other days, I'll have maybe four positions filled. Like last week, uh, Thursday, Friday, I had four trades filled um, just before the weekend. Um, and so I, yeah, so that was a very busy day. And so what about your trading day then? If you've got um, an algo doing your trading for you, I mean, how does that pl- pan out? I mean, the reason I, I have an algo to do my... Uh, the heavy lifting is because, um, I mean, software is, is for me, it's a, it's much better than covering a lot broader ground. I mean, I can only look at one pair at a time. So I like to uh, let the crunching go on in the background and just bring things that are important to my attention and the rest I don't want to see. So if I'm just looking at a price chart, um, yeah, unless I'm focusing on, on kind of macro uh, stuff, I mean, I want to know what's going on kind of on, on a broader, uh, broader scale. So I'm, um, yeah, so I, yeah, I let the algo do all the entries and I manage the trades manually. And so, uh, I mean, uh, so I was thinking about it, right, way back in the beginning when you, you know, you had the algo and it, it started placing trades for you. I mean, were you before that finding success doing it manually and then thought, sort of integrated the algo or was the algo the, the lead the whole way? Um, no, the algo was something that, I mean, I've been working on the algo for, for many years, and it's only recently uh, 
been working the way I've I've wanted it to work. Um, it's um it's based on on currency strength and like major liquidity distribution between these currencies that I mentioned. And uh, and historically, when I was trying to do this uh, with discretion, it was very difficult. Uh, and I think this was primarily because of uh, like emotion and uh, stress that was uh, induced to uh, kind of having to having to earn money. I think when you go from a traditional mindset from you know, having to kind of earn money, rather one's time is the commodity that we're selling to the point where, well, this week I didn't earn anything, or maybe this week I lost money because I lost some trades. I mean, I mean there is a, there's a massive gap between those two realities that must be bridged. I think that comes with time. So early on, I did horribly, and and uh, I suppose the past uh, the past few years, things have been uh, going much, much better. And if you had to sort of describe how your, your algo works, I mean, with your currency strength and uh, and the zones, how does that, how does that, how does it work? How does it work them out? Yeah, and so, you know, there are two, I have two like kind of packages that I, that I lean on. And the first one is uh, liquidity distribution. So this finds, uh, it finds uh, areas in the market where liquidity was distributed either to the buy side or the sell side uh, with great force. And so it, it kind of draws these off on my chart for me. So it shows me, oh, wow, here we have uh, a lot of selling going on, and here is the beginning of the sell zone. And so it will show me um, where price will very likely react in the future should it return back to this area. And so I'm seeing this, and I'm using this for my uh, to refine the entry. So this is kind of the entry criteria. And then I look at the, the currency strength and the currency strength is, um, is calculating, uh, of course, the kind of an index for all of the currencies that I trade and it's comparing them. And so if I'm looking at the, uh, say the British pound, Singaporean dollar, um, it's telling me where we have reached the beginning or the end of a cycle, either to the, uh, either on the, on the positive side or the negative side. And it's doing this with, um, uh, with a, with a very, I suppose it's like a, a st- statistically significant um, degree of accuracy. So it's finding these these major turning points in the market, and I use the liquidity distribution uh, package to show me where to get in. And so the algo kind of understands that and does that for me. But you can do it with discretion as well. A lot of people are doing using the software, and they're they're, they're doing the same thing just with discretion. And this enables them to kind of take other things into consideration. For example, maybe the Maybe my algo will uh, trade Swedish krona. Maybe these guys don't want to trade Swedish krona, so they'll ignore those or, or whatever. And so it just now allows people to kind of ease into things themselves. And and just a question here on that. I mean, is anyone like trying to trade the lower times time frames with it? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of guys um, really like to kind of get down to kind of the bleeding edge, the nitty gritty. And so there are a lot of guys using it on the one minute and the 15 minute and the half an hour and the daily, you know, like intraday stuff. And um, especially the liquidity distribution package, a lot of the guys are using that with um, with a lot of uh, a lot of success. Um, yeah. So it is, I mean, essentially price is fractal. So you, whatever is happening, price patterns that occur on, on the monthly chart or the weekly chart are also occurring on the one minute and the five minute. And so you're seeing the exact same price behaviors occurring um, independent of the time frame that you're looking at, because you have you have uh, you have tiny pockets of liquidity, and then you have enormous pockets of liquidity, and these are consumed and established uh, dependent at a rate rather dependent on the time frame that they are available on. And so, if you have 
if you have an area of, if you have a buy zone on the weekly chart and you have to be really patient. And I got into, I got into, got into a trade um, about two weeks ago and it, I, I had to wait for the trade. I had to wait for the liquidity to be distributed at this area for about 20 days. So it took me, I had to sit on the position for 20 days before it started to move. But because I've seen this happen many times in the past, I know that it's got to be patient. You've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. And so a lot of people, or maybe if I go back in time, maybe five years, um, six years when I was uh, struggling with this stuff, and I would have gotten out of gotten out of the trade when it kind of jumped up like a few pips or 10 pips, you know, because, because, oh, well, I got a bit of a profit or if price went down in my, and the position went into a negative balance and maybe, or a little bit of a drawdown, maybe I'd think, oh, I got to get out of the trade. It's a losing trade. But now I've learned to understand uh, via my research that you got to sit back, got to take it easy. You just have to let this stuff work itself out because it does. You just have to be patient. And and how did you how did you define how hard was it to define you know you mentioned before um, you know, price breaks out with great force I mean how hard was it for you to calculate great force uh, in your software? Um, yeah, well, it's 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 difficult. It's very difficult because I mean if you consider the uh, um, the currency market, the forex market, so you have you have micro exchanges all over the place, and so there is no. I mean, the market is so decentralized that there are no real um, uh, accurate uh, volume readings anywhere in contrast to something that's chain uh, sorry uh, traded on a central exchange and you have accurate volume information but for the for the FX space you don't because you have broker a they have volume information which is specific to their to their customers and you have broker B which is something else and broker C which is something else and so it's uh, it's very difficult to kind of uh, find something. So you have to focus on other things. And I have um, devised a way to uh, look at kind of the anatomy of, of how price moves. Um, and I made an algorithm that is able to quantify the strength of a move away and kind of attach a rectangle to it um, in order to inform you that here we have a nice buy zone or here we have a nice sell zone. And so it, I mean, it's, in the software has been as I mentioned, it's been uh, it's been many years in the works, uh, and it's been working well now for about probably three or four years. Um, but before that, it was a lot of trial and error, a ton of trial and error. And now it works, and so I don't fiddle. I do small tweaks here and there and add features, but I like to. It works great for the time being, so I'll uh, I shan't fiddle. But the currency strength stuff that's um that's also something that is um plays an enormous role and this stuff is more maths than it is trying to quantify a pattern and so it's just crunching numbers essentially and i mean you, you you know you talk about the fact that it was a lot of trial and error a lot of years and you spent a whole year off you know just staring at price chart and, a, and a, a lot of failure going on there i mean what do you think made you different from the other mum or dad trader out there who's who's still struggling to make this thing happen um i think it was winston churchill my wife uh, got me a bookmark uh, at, at a point in my life where I was very, very low and I was about to give up. And, you know, I'm, if you check my SBN, my, um, my repository, in there are tens of thousands of check-ins and check-outs. And so ver- essentially versions of, of, this, uh, of the software. And so at a point where I was essentially very, very low, my wife got me this, this metal bookmark and uh, there was an engraving on it and the engraving was a quote from Churchill, I believe it was Churchill, and it was, never 
ever give up. <laughs> and uh, and I kind of had that on my desk, and I looked at that, and uh, and that really uh, that really drove a point home for me. And I sp- I spoke to a very good friend of mine, um, who's married to a Danish woman, um, a guy from the U.S. from Chicago, and we spoke last night, and he said to me, he said it's it's so cool that you never ever gave up. And he stopped, he stopped uh, a while ago because he kind of thought, ah oh, man, this shit's a nightmare. I'll never get my head around it. And so he. He finished. He decided not to trade anymore, but I kept going. And he said yesterday, he said, I'm so glad that you kept going. He said, you never, ever gave up. And, uh, and I think that's, the, uh, that's the, uh, the key to success is not giving up. If you're able to measure, quantify a success, no matter how big that success is, I mean, that can be motivational, even if they are tiny, tiny uh, uh, bits of success, tiny successes. A success is a success. Um, and so this is maybe what I've been... Uh, focusing on these very, very small incremental uh, degrees of success. This is something that I've clutched onto, and this is pretty much what has uh, driven me to, to, to pursue, to persevere, and, uh, and finish this, uh, this software. Yeah. So, so what, what do you recommend somebody coming into the game that have been you know, at it for maybe six months? So they've got a great ground-level knowledge. What do you recommend they do to start getting to the point where they can, um, you know, start getting profitable on this yeah. it's i think a lot of people un- unfortunately the, f- the retail forex uh, space is tainted with very very perverse and incorrect and invalid and uh, expectations so a lot of people think oh man i need to earn some quick cash what can i do they have a quick look on the internet and they find a, a forex robot and they buy it and they lose all their money and so i think that a lot of people come in to forex or trading uh, in any in any format uh, with very incorrect expectations. And so they come in, they're looking for quick money. And if, if there's one thing that Forex or trading isn't, that is quick. Um, it's the furthest thing from quick. And so I think that people have to understand that trading, be it currencies, equities, whatever, it's a, to become a trader, you have to invest an equal amount of time into studying trading as you would have to study to become, I don't know, an accountant or... Or a, or a computer scientist, or or a car mechanic. You don't just like you don't just jump into an operating studio and start doing open heart surgery on people. I mean, it takes time. You have to learn about anatomy. You have to learn how the heart works. You have to learn how anesthesia works. You have to learn about all that stuff. And so, coming into the currency market, thinking that you're going to be profitable uh, next week because you have this cool indicator or this expert advisor attached to your chart, it's um it's the worst thing you can do. And I have a lot of guys come to me and they and they say to me, okay. What do I have to do to earn a hundred dollars a week? And uh, and I said to them, I said, I think you should go for a job. Just get a normal job where you work a few hours and you get a hundred dollars a week. And I think because coming in with those kind of expectations are, are going to result in uh, yeah in defeat. And, uh, and so it's just a really good idea to come into the trading space with realistic expectations and most of all a boatload of patience. Yeah, it's great advice. Great, I like the analogy about the, the the doctor and the heart surgery. And you know, it's probably easier if somebody said, oh, "Okay, well, you know, you've got to take that person's heart out." Um, but <laughs> then it's like uh, it's like pl- placing a trade. Yeah, we- you got to place a trade. Oh, I can do that. Yeah, but then you got to make the, the trade needs to make money, um, or the person yeah. needs to live. Um, and then all of a sudden, you've got like, okay, now I need to know a whole bunch of other stuff, right? So. Exactly. What about fundamentals? I mean, you, you're talking about this um, currency uh, strength uh, 
calculation that you've got going on? I mean, how does what what sort of data feeds into that? Um, so the currency strength is looking at price data. It's only looking, it's only looking at numbers, and and so in the currency strength data, it's uh, I mean there there are no there are no I mean GDP isn't in there, um, PPI isn't in there, fundamental data releases are not in there, um, and but the thing that is in there is uh, flows, so major flows. So you can see I mean the Australian dollar is moving higher or the Swiss franc is moving lower. Um, when I look at my chart and I see, I mean, right now we have the Japanese yen that is the highest and the Swiss franc is the highest on my weekly currency strength data. I mean, that tells me that fundamentally these two currencies are propped up. Okay, and if I look at the same chart and I see that the Australian dollar and the Kiwi, they're very low or they were low and now they're moving higher. I know that fundamentally there's a reason for this to happen. And so the fundamentals are priced in to the data that I'm looking at. I mean, I'm not an economist. I mean, I wish I was. I wish I had the insight that uh, that some of these really cool and intelligent economists have, but I don't. So I have to make do with with maths, and um, and that's fine. I I, I like that. But at the same time, it's very good to be aware of, I mean, unemployment. Look at the U.S. at the moment, 14.7% unemployment. That's staggering. That's a lot. Okay, and so this this unemployment claims, um, PPI, um, stuff like that. I mean, this is a, all this stuff is very important. But also, you have to think about interest rates. Interest rates are king. And, uh, you have to also remember that money is going to flow into a high yielding asset. So if you have an interest rate on a currency which is very high, when you can expect over time the data, sorry, data um, that. Uh, liquidity money funds are going to move into this high yielding instrument and currently if you look around I mean nothing is yielding we have uh, interest rates on almost all currencies that are close to zero and some are even negative and so people are thinking like where the hell am I going to get a yield and so people are looking at gold and people are looking at other stuff in an attempt to find yields but at the moment man it's really tough to find a good yield a government bonds they're giving nothing you know it's a, it's a really tough time and so I think you have to have an understanding about the fundamentals, um, but for me, I've tried to convert that into a kind of a, a mass problem, uh, and hence me using currency strength and leading on currency strength so much. And what about technicals in, the, in a price chart? I mean, what would you recommend somebody go away after the show and educate themselves on? Yeah, so if, I mean, I had to do um, a, a webinar for uh, the parents and the teachers and the students at my uh, my children's school uh, here in Bali. And, uh, and then the question came in, says like, how can we better understand currency trading? Because this is kind of my space. And so the, the parents and the teachers asked me to do this because that was my area of expertise. And so I told them, I said, okay, if you want to exchange uh, American dollars for Indonesian rupees, um, you can either go to your bank and you can do it on the spot or you can look at a price chart and you can try and identify uh, an attractive price to do this, a more attractive price. And the spot market is not a very attractive price, just spot prices in the FX space. What you have to do is you have to go to a price chart and you have to look where we have high. So when price is very high, this is a good time to sell. When price is very low, this is a good time to buy. And of course, this is relative. You can't really apply this uh, any time. You can't really apply this just kind of at face value. But what you can do is you can force yourself to buy when prices are low and you can sell when prices are high. And so when price is moving 
when price is high and it's moving higher and you can see that it's come from a low price well maybe this is kind of the beginning of the end of this cycle and so just try and force yourself to to sell and buy at price sensitive areas and if we have a maybe a moment I can show you on the charts what this looks like but you can train yourself to find where these price sensitive areas are and these are the ones I refer to as buy and sell zones yeah well look we'll definitely jump on a video after this and uh, and check it up in the YouTube for the guys to look at so uh, let's jump into the uh, the quick fire round so we've got a few questions here to help the guys get an overview for what we've just gone through and um, give them some other tips. So how long did it take you to go from newbie to profitable? Uh, it took me uh, about five years. And thinking about a trader's mindset, do you have any special techniques you can share with us? Um, yes. Um, understand that, I mean, I mean, my angle on the market is distribution of liquidity. Um, and so understand that liquidity is distributed in the marketplace over a gradual period of time. Uh, so have patience. Uh, don't fiddle, don't micromanage orders, your positions once they're open. If they go in into drawdown, that's fine. It's just try price advertising higher and, 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 uh, and lower prices to attract other market speculants to get involved. So be patient, don't micromanage positions. What's your favorite entry setup? My favorite entry setup is um, I like to look at the end of cycles on the four-hour chart. So I'm looking at uh, currency strength uh, data, and I'm looking at uh, extreme deviations on this four-hour chart, and I'm trading in line with the flows on the weekly chart. And I can also show what that looks like on a chart at some stage. What strategies do you use to exit or manage active trades? I get out of trades at opposing buy and sell zones or where I can see there, there is a shift in, the, in momentum in relation to the currency strength. I'm using currency strength to manage my trades and I'm using um, uh, kind of a disconnect in my position relative to the currency strength to get out of trades as well. Do you have any recommended trading resources price chart look at a price chart don't worry about what anyone else is doing you have to understand that you have to you have to become an independent thinker in relation to what it is you're looking at so spend an hour a day looking at a price chart and remove all indicators from it mark off support and resistance areas and watch how price reacts at these extreme uh, levels and understand what these patterns occur how and why these patterns occur if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, my advice would be um, that you have to find, if you want to, I think if you want to come into trading and you want to become, you want to come into trading to earn money, then I, I don't think that's enough motivation to get you up early in the morning and to keep you up late at night to ensure that you will reach your goal. I think there has to be an angle, some kind of an angle that will keep you hooked in to the field of, of trading. Uh, for me, it's been software. Um, this is what, like I said, gets me up early in the morning and keeps me up late at night. I'm, um, I'm absolutely fixated on, on writing software that enables my, that, that will increase my understanding of how the markets move. And this is what has kept me in it for such a long time. If I didn't have the software next to it, then I think I would have probably bailed on it a long time ago.
So you have to find you have to find your angle, and you have to learn how to interpret what you see uh, through your own mindset. Because I mean, everyone comes to the table with a very very unique set of skills and natural gifts and everyone is different and everyone is very unique and so those gifts are there and so listening to someone else regurgitate their interpretation of something based on their uh, gifts or skills or whatever is not necessarily going to resonate with a with another person so it's very important that we learn to see the market through our own uh, mindset and psyche Cool. And uh, last question of the show, if you're going to leave uh, – sorry, <laughs> wrong question. Last question of the show is um, what's the best way for the guys to get hold of you? Yeah, I mean, I operate through um, uh, primarily through my website, which is uh, pipnotic.com, P-I-P-N-O-T-I-C.com. Pip, you know, like the, the small price in points, and then Notic, kind of hypnotic. I thought I'd make like a pretty unique there. So Pipnotic is uh, the name of the uh, is where I hang out. So I'm there, and I have my YouTube channel, which is uh, just uh, Sarid Harper. That's where I publish videos, and I'm publishing videos most days. And these are normally based on uh, just like an analysis of whatever or positions I'm in and, and stuff that uh, people send questions in about. So I'm pretty active. I'm very active there as well. Well, look, a big thank you to Sarid for sharing with us today everything we've discussed here, along with all those links are going to be in the show notes. To find them, simply search for Sarid in the search box, and that is S-A-R-I-D on tradingnut.com. Until next time, I wish all my listeners trading happiness and success. So there we have it, folks. Sarid Harper, done and dusted. Now, next step, head over to tradingnut.com. Check out the video we shot after the show. You'll definitely learn a thing or two. And he also has his software available. If you want to get that, you can find the links over there on tradingnut.com as well. Folks, until next week, have a great trading week, and I'll see you in the markets. Oh, I forgot one more thing to remind you of. The Trading Nut uh, Telegram group is really starting to pick up. We've got a, about 1,500 people in there at the moment talking trading. So if you guys want to head over there, there's links on the show description. There's also links on the site. What you'll find is that I'll put a little video up explaining exactly how the group works so head over there check it out there's a lot of experience in that group so if you've got trading if you're new to trading or if you're learning the ropes you're not quite there yet then i suggest posting a few charts telling people what you're doing and you will get help okay guys all right until next time see you later